Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. Today on the show, we have the founder and CEO of Creative X, Anastasia Lang, joining us. She brings a wealth of experience. She was at Google, then she co-founded the company Hatch, went on and created Creative X. We get into a conversation really about progressing as a leader as your company starts to scale and some of the challenges that come from that and how she's handled them as a leader. So I think if you're in a leadership position, maybe at a startup and you know your company's growing quickly, this will be the episode for you. Before we get into that, though, as always, we put on this show here at Cave. We're an agency that helps brands tell their story predominantly through social media first. So if you're feeling like you need a little pick-me-up on the social media, head over to cavesocial.com, hit that contact us. We'd love to chat. All right, sit back, relax, enjoy this episode. What's going on, my beautiful marketing people? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, joining me from across the pond is Anastasia Lang. She is the founder and CEO at CreativeX. She's got a ton of experience, and I'm excited to have her join us. Anastasia, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I can't complain. Yeah, it's a sunny day here in LA. Things are good. I'm excited to have you on the show. Before we hop into, you know, CreativeX and, you know, your evolution as a CEO, I want to talk really about your career to date. How did you get to this point where you're like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to found and lead CreativeX? My journey has been a series of happy accidents. So, at university, I did not think I was going to go into tech, but I was very lucky in that I worked for my college newspaper, which was sort of very well regarded because it was an entirely student-run newspaper. And a couple of companies, when they came to do on-campus recruiting, invited people to interview for certain positions, which is how I got my job at Google. And I remember Google sort of inviting me to do an initial interview, and I thought, why would I ever want to work at Google? That seems what would I possibly do there? I was a psychology major, so had you know nothing to do with, with tech or computer science. And then went to interview for Google and loved the approach that Google had towards giving teams and people a lot of autonomy. I think a lot of what they were doing at that time was, you know, people were asked to figure out how to do something for the very first time. And that was very exciting to me. And I spent five years at Google. I worked on every ad tech and analytics product that Google had during that time. I found myself working on very early stage projects and technologies that Google was just thinking about, you know, do we want to go into the space? Is that what we want to be doing? And all of a sudden I found myself, my social group really transitioning towards being a lot of founders and entrepreneurs and CEOs of kind of growing companies. And honestly, I just got the bug, right? I, I found that my social network had changed and I was spending a lot of time talking to these people who were taking these giant risks. And I just wanted to be one of them. I think is what it comes down to. And I came to this place where I ended up interviewing for a bunch of other jobs about five years in at Google. And, you know, compared to Google, nothing felt big enough or exciting enough. And a friend of mine at the time said, hey, I'm starting my own company. And do you want to jump ship and do it with me? And I think I was just looking for a ticket out. And I said, yes. So I left Google in 2012 and started an e-commerce company with my friend back then uh, called Hatch. Hatch was a basically glorified Etsy. That company was not successful, <laughs> but it did succeed in pulling me out of Google and giving me the experience of what it was like to build a company from the ground up. And I loved that experience. It was stressful and it was exciting, but it was incredibly rewarding and incredibly challenging. And I loved it. And while we were trying to make Hatch work, we stumbled on some insights that led to the birth of Creative X. 
And really, I wish I could tell you CreativeX was some brilliant strategic plan that we executed on, but it was really a question of we were so afraid to let Hatch fail that we started to experiment as to what we could do to make our own visual content work better. And in doing so, we ended up building technology that people found more valuable than the e-commerce business we were building. So here we are. Amazing. Now, for anyone who's never heard of CreativeX or they're like, okay, so what does CreativeX do? Give us the elevator pitch. What does the company do and what is the problems that you're helping companies solve? Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, what CreativeX does is it powers creative decision-making at scale for anyone creating content. And what we focus on is how do we make the content that you produce more consistent, more efficient, more likely to succeed. When you break that down and go beyond the marketing buzzwords, really the problem that most organizations have today is that they're producing a vast amount of image and visual content you know, at a scale that has basically never been seen before. Most companies would produce over 100,000 pieces of visual content a year. And there is no analytical infrastructure for making sure that not only is their content leveraging their latest best practices, it's consistent with their brand, it's complying with regulation, it is inclusive of all the different audiences and people that they try and market their product to, but that anything they're learning about their content can be instantly applied to everyone making content on their behalf. And so we solve that problem, right? We solve both the providing a layer of data and objectivity behind all the content you produce, as well as then giving you tools to automatically roll out any creative learnings you're getting to all of your creative partners to make sure your entire organization is marching to the beat of the same drum and leveraging all the latest learnings. Amazing. I I love that from actionable insights that companies can use. Now, as the company's grown, and we talked a little bit off air, you know, you go from being a small team, adding team members, going, getting the seed round, eventually raising money, and you start to staff up. I want to talk to you about your transition as a CEO. How has that been going from maybe being, you know, a few team members where you're 10% of the, you know, workforce, so you got to get in and get your hands dirty. You have, you know, a few people responding to you to actually like, as you scale up, putting in some sort of management structure. How has that been for, as a learning experience? Has there been any takeaways or anything for, you know, you could give to somebody else who's maybe in a high growth stage of, of their company as well to look out for, uh, you know, as a, a leader of the company? It's a really difficult question and one that I would by no means say I've nailed, but it is something I think about a lot. And I think it changes dramatically, right? So when you're a, at least when I was a seed stage founder and we were just trying to get to product market fit, or get that initial fundraise, the reality is you do everything. And you kind of have to, at least I did, maybe because we didn't have a lot of money and we didn't have a lot of people. And so we focused all of our initial hiring on engineering who would build the product. And I was pretty much everything else. And I did everything else, whether it was like office management, fundraising, hiring, marketing, sales, like Basically, I did it all. I was the commercial organization for the business. And then as the business grew, I tried to be very honest with myself about, you know, what is really my value and what is my job and what does the team need for me? And there are a couple of things that I found really helpful in that process. The first one is is really just expectation setting. So what I mean by that is at every major fundraise event and really every year, I sit down with our board and our investors and our team and ask them, what do you need from me as we head into next year? And that really helps me understand what do they think a good CEO is? What are the things that I need to deliver? What are the things I'm not thinking about that I should be thinking about? One of the other exercises that I do 
is, and I've started actually doing this with my management team, is every year or so, I create a pie chart of on an average day, week, month, whatever the right cadence is for you, what do I spend my time on? And then I create another pie chart, which is what should I be spending my time on and how should my time allocation actually be? And what this does is it gives me a blueprint for thinking about how do I get rid of the pieces of the pie where I'm currently spending time on that I shouldn't. And that I've gone through that exercise with, again, members of my management team. I do it every year. And I find that it is a very good way of objectively figuring out where you're spending your time that you shouldn't. And then either ideally delegating that to other people or hiring more people to help you scale yourself and the business as you grow. And this exercise of having semi-regular check-ins where we figure out, am I and is my management team spending our time on the right things has been really effective and helpful at thinking about how to let go of stuff. The last thing that has helped in this has been really just a mind shift of what delegation means. And what I mean by that is I'm fundamentally a doer. I love doing things. I get value from like checking things off lists and getting things done. And sometimes I see that as my value to the team, right? It's like, you have a problem. I'm in there in the trenches helping you solve it. But sometimes that comes at the cost of doing what the company most needs me to do, which, you know, maybe isn't like editing an image or, or helping you rewrite a subject line for an email. And so one of the things that my coach has helped me see is that my trusting other people with responsibilities that I currently have is actually a gift to them. And he's encouraged me. I don't know if you've ever read a book about like love languages and the five different love languages there are. Long story short, I actually have a post-it on my computer, which talks, which asks myself, which of the things that I'm doing is a gift for someone else? And the way that I think about it is in the early stage, a lot of the things you're doing are very true reflections of what it's like to start and build a company. And the people who've joined CreativeX should be the kinds of people who want that true insight. If I ever want to do this, I want to make sure I've gotten a true crash course and what it's like. So my shielding them away from stuff, which I previously saw as me doing them a favor, I think an actual, in many cases, was actually a disservice because I was keeping them from seeing what it was really like, but B, also not entrusting them enough to do some of the things that I was doing. And I'm actively trying to change my mindset. It's interesting. There's two parts of that that I think are really, really good to look at. One, this idea of delegation and, hey, you know, do what you're great at, you know, and don't do what you shouldn't do. But where I find a lot of entrepreneurs, myself, we get sucked into, okay, we know we should do value add tasks. We know we shouldn't do value negative, but it's value neutral tasks to the business where we get sucked in because you're like, well, I can do that. And then it's looking at, I like the way you framed it is, okay, I can do this, but it's a gift to somebody else who's actually, that's their best part or that's what they add to the business is that ability. So it's like giving them more exposure, more responsibility and and really building a a stronger team culture, especially in those startup days. But I really like that. And that's something, you know, anyone listening who's in a leadership spot right now, look at that, say what, like re-examine what delegation means for you. I have a priority list every day. I make a list where it goes top priority, medium priority, low priority, delegate. 
And that's just like everything goes in a list and then I just go and move them around every day because I'm like you. I take pride in like knocking things off the list and I've had to re-examine my relationship with just like getting things done because I think it's so crucial as an organization scales that we scale back are like just being in the minutia and being in the trenches and, and trusting people that, okay, I hired you because I, I believe in you and I believe you can fix and solve this problem. Go bananas. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, as a cadence, like how often are you doing these meetings with your management team? So I check in on overall health and happiness of every individual on my management team once a month. And then I check in health and happiness of every individual in the company once every three to six months. And I like to do that personally, even though I expect that my direct team is having conversations with their you know, team on a more regular basis. But I think sometimes, you know, I like to make sure that I'm the fail safe. If there's something you're, for whatever reason, you're not comfortable saying to the manager, like I want to make sure that, that, that at least someone is listening and hearing that feedback because that's very important. And it keeps both sides honest. Like feedback shouldn't just flow top down. It needs to flow bottom up as well. And then, you know, for other use cases, it sort of depends on where you are on that happiness scale. So when I hear someone is sort of an eight or nine, then what I hear is, yes, you know, you are doing things that are strategic, that are helping you get to where you want to go in your career, that you find rewarding, et cetera. If you're at a lower level of happiness and job satisfaction, and oftentimes job performance, because these things really do tend to go together, then I think this is where the pie wheel becomes a really actionable tool for us to think about, okay, why? Why is that? And start stripping things away one by one to think about, is this improving? Is this improving your performance? Is this improving the way you feel about the company, et cetera, et cetera. I think fundamentally what I have learned the hard way is in most cases, if you hire people well and you hire accountable, responsible people, if they're not performing well at their job, there is either some sort of extraneous factor that's driving that low performance. They are not in the right job. So you have to recontextualize them. Or again, you've just hired wrong and there's something that you're recruiting or hiring process didn't catch. I love this idea too of checking in with people because, and you said something extraneous to the job that it's like people go through shit and we have to, as leaders in our company, understand that work is a part of life and that like sometimes our staff are going to have problems with family, problems with friends. They're going to be dealing with something that maybe is outside. They might love their job and everything, but I think that having those check-ins allows us to just be more empathetic leaders to understand, okay, like this is the whole, yes. uh, you know, we're never going to see the whole picture, but we can see more of the picture and start to understand our team and ultimately be there too. That might be the time where as the CEO, you need to, hey, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to do some of those tasks and hop back in because I know that, Johnny Joe's having a tough week and there's something going on that, you know, is actually happening that's pretty emotionally heavy for that person, you know? Yes. Yes. And I think what has been tricky for us, and we take a lot of steps to try and change this, is we have a lot of what we call big company converts who work at CreativeX, meaning people who have worked at, you know, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, et cetera, who come here. And this idea of being very transparent with your manager or your boss or even sort of the CEO is something that they feel like is a trap, right? And they're like, oh, but I can't really tell you what I think because you might use that against me. And that's not at all our company culture. And so we built it into our values. We emphasize that sort of throughout onboarding and multiple times throughout. We try and reward people who are 
actively open and critical of the company in helping us improve, but it does require sometimes for, for newer people who come in, a little bit of changing existing patterns where they feel like they can share those things without being penalized or in a way that will never be used against them. That's creating a safe place, right? And truly creating a safe yeah. place. I think there's a lot of organizations that talk big game and then just don't back it up and they start, they do weaponize things towards their team that have been shared or criticisms. And it's really important for us when we're in leadership positions to know, hey, our words matter, but our actions matter even more. When our team comes and does tell us they're having an issue or, hey, that client is being overtly rude to the team or aggressive, you know, and when we say, hey, we don't work with, we don't work with assholes is like one of our things. Okay, well, I need to get rid of that client is truly verbally abusing my team and I let that go on. Sure, I put down our values, but we don't live them. So it's like having it and being checked continually, I think is, uh, yes. is healthy. And then, you know, living those values to walk the walk. That's what we, <laughs> ultimately what we have to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you say that because we've recently had a very similar experience where we have talked about internally, when is it okay to fire a client? And we have come to the same conclusion that, you know, money is not worth someone getting verbally put down and constantly condescended to because ultimately, look, I love this company and I love what we do, but it is just a job. <laughs> and I will not be comfortable if we have teammates who are in a place where their emotional or mental well-being is at risk due to, you know, a terrible client. What was fascinating about this is I talked to some of our board members about this and they had asked me, hey, what are you spending your time on and sort of what's keeping you up at night? And I, I mentioned this use case with a client and they said, fire them. You, you know, in the same way that they can choose not to renew with you, you can choose to fire them. And that was actually really empowering for me. And I was like, yes, we can do this. And that's great. It's something that gets easier when you do it. And you realize that the Pareto principle truly was there when you're like, oh, you were 20% of the revenue and 80% of the headache. And you start to cut that out from the organization and you go, oh, this is just like healthier. Because to your point, it's just a job. And I say that too. I'm the owner of Cave and you know we're an agency. But when real things start happening in the world, I always tell my team like, hey, it's not that serious. We're just making Instagram posts. Like, it's like, go to the doctor, go to your thing. Like just, it's really, I don't want this to be a stressful place. We're on, you know, like it's just having that kind of check or at least that's my philosophy on it to understand there's more to life than creating the next best advertising campaign. It's part of life and I love it. But I think that having that balanced perspective on what it truly is, is really helpful because it allows you to make those decisions, I think, a little more swiftly to be like, all right, we're ending this engagement with the client. Like it's no longer, this is not helping the company and the company that I want to build as the CEO, right? Now I'm not beholden to like, some three levels of management now that I'm like, oh, well, if I fire the client, then I got to answer up the chain and justify my decision. Like, no, you're the CEO. I'm the CEO. We can we can do this. We're allowed to create the company we want to have. And I think it's good to have those kind of like rebalancing acts sometimes to just remind yeah. us like it's okay to get rid of some toxic clients. Yeah. You know, on, on that note, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about what is a, what is my role mean now and what does being good CEO mean now versus what it meant up until now. And this is as part of this exercise of, you know, what do I spend my time on? What, what should I be spending my time on? And one of the things I'm realizing is that now that our company is hitting 50 people and growing kind of quite fast beyond that, 
I'm letting stuff go so I can focus on more of these issues of kind of macro well-being and team culture. And I'm actually really enjoying that because it's, you know, before the way I thought about making impact was I spent a lot of time with each individual on my team and, and all of that. But obviously that doesn't scale. Like if I had one-on-ones, I could spend my entire job basically just having one-on-ones with everyone in the company and it just doesn't work. Right. And so one of the insights that we had is, you know, startups are an intense environment and we tend to hire hyperproductive people, but we want those people to stay around for a long time. And so we consider ourselves long-term greedy versus short-term greedy, where like you come in, we burn you out after a year and send you packing. And so one of the changes I got to rule out recently was moving the entire company to a four-day work week, which was really incredible because it allowed me to think about, you know, again, how do we live and breathe our values? One of our values is working for outcome and not for hours. So we try to be ruthless in how we prioritize try and really question like, why are we doing this? And what is the impact this will have? You know, we want people to do their job really well, but that means saying no as much as it means sort of saying yes. But as we were thinking about the way we organize the work week, we thought there is more we can do to help people work for outcome, but also really reward them and allow them to continue elevating themselves and growing themselves outside of just the things they do for work. Because everyone we hire is like really ambitious and has aspirations outside of their job. But the weekend is often not enough time to pursue those things, especially if you have a family, right? So you literally have no time to yourself. And so anyway, it's been a really interesting change that we've rolled out that I think I wouldn't have had a chance to do were I not letting go of some of those more in-the-weed day-to-day tasks. I love it. I love looking at that, the macro and, and making some wholesale changes like that that can really have impact. Anastasia, this has been awesome. For anybody who wants to learn more about creative x where should they go and two, anybody who wants to connect with you online is there a preferred platform or place that they should reach out sure yeah creative x is creativex.com. so that's the word creative with an x at the end and then for me i'm an inbox zero person so i will respond to um, and check all my all my emails and it's just my name anastasia at creativex.com amazing thank you so much for coming on today i, I love this uh this chat and thanks for taking the time Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Cool. So everybody, thanks again for coming to the show, listening. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Shelton, and I'll catch you next time.